Good morning. I will be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 22. John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. May God bless the reading of his word. Today is the first Sunday that we are meeting without Drew and Becky. Uh, they're not away on vacation. 
they have left Prague for good. Now, for eight years, their kids and the grandkids have very graciously tea loaned them to us. And now they are saying, may we have them back, please? This morning, some of us may feel a bit odd, disoriented, and pensive. And it may not have anything to do with the way Trev has led the worship. <laughs> now, for many years, Drew and Becky have been so much a part of our lives and our community, serving us so wholeheartedly and unreservedly. And it's only natural that we will miss their presence. It's okay. So when Jesus saw the crowd that gathered around him, they were like sheep without a shepherd. But you know what? We are not like that. Our pastor may have left us, but our head pastor, the great shepherd, shepherd of the flock, he will always be with us. And he will continue to lead us to green pastures and cool waters. So Jesus is very much here through the Holy Spirit. So let none of our heart be troubled. So as we enter this season of transition, there will be adjustments. More of you will have to step up to help with the running of the Sunday worship. So I'm delighted this morning to see Mastona doing just that. It's been a long time since we last had a sister moderating. What a refreshing change. And the elders will have to do our part by taking turns to preach. Which is why I'm up here. So if you find our sermons not up to par, one upside is that you will pray harder for the Lord to send the next pastor. And soon. Now looking ahead, how long will it take? Six months? A year? Will he come from a country called Texas? Or will he speak in Queen's English? Can he play the bass? Or fix the leaky pipe? Without answer to these questions, it would be difficult for the elders to make any long-term plans. And this holding pattern can be unsettling. And I know that. And we, read, we just heard from, read from John 21, the, discipleship, the disciples are also missing someone they dearly loved. Only that situation even far more drastic. The past few weeks have been an emotional roller coaster for them. So much has happened. They were distressed beyond words to see the beloved Lord being arrested, 
scourge, put through a mock trial, then brutally executed. So as they are mourning his death, the spirit was lifted to hear from someone that he had miraculously risen from the dead. But something is not quite the same about him now. One moment he is there, the next moment he's gone. When Jesus first called the disciples to follow him, they were all fired up. Their hearts were bubbling with joy. They felt so blessed to be the chosen few that could be personally tilted and taught by Jesus. And they could be with him as he performed many miracles of healing and casting out demons. And when they become grandpas, they will want to tell their grandkids how five loaves and two fish were multiplied in Jesus' hand to feed 5,000. Or that he walked on the water and calmed a raging sea. It has been three glorious years. And if they can have it, they will want to go on for another 30. Then abruptly, this all ended. They are now all alone, without Jesus by their side. Now I hope you can appreciate that the disciples are grappling with some raw emotions. They are still very much haunted by the shame of deserting Jesus at his arrest. And likely, the most miserable of the lot is Peter. He must be devastated and utterly disgusted with himself, often pounding his head and keep asking himself, why? How could I do that? Now, Peter was not called the one-footed disciple for no reason, because very often his other foot is in his mouth. He once bragged that even if the other disciples would fall away, he would remain true and faithful. Yet that very same night, he would deny Jesus not once, but three times. So with, with mixed feelings and a heavy heart, the disciples returned to the shore of Galilee. Three years ago, this was where it all started. But the circumstance could not have been more stark and different. Instead of excitedly planning which village to go next to preach the gospel, they are all huddled together, dejected and not sure what to do next. It very much looks like it is game over. Now, how is it possible that the disciple can arrive at this miserable state? Now, they just graduated from, with the equivalent of the MDiv degree under the top rabbi in Israel and would have known that a major attribute of God is his omni or universal presence. Meaning, God is anywhere and everywhere, all the time. Then they probably can recite from memory 
Psalm 139, where David declares, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If the disciples know that God is always there with them, why then are they so downcast and sad? This all has to do with awareness or the lack of it. You see, what the disciples know with their head may not be the same as how they feel in their hearts. Jesus is no longer with them 24-7. It freaks them out that he will be there one moment and next moment he's gone. They are haunted by the words that he said to them at the Last Supper. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. Shame on them. They surely did not. Instead, they all ran away. And now they are out at sea, struggling with their nets, wondering how their fishing skills have degenerated so much that they could work all night and not catch a single fish. And they are too preoccupied with what they are doing to recognize that that friendly stranger standing by the seashore having a friendly conversation with them is Jesus. You see, God's presence and His manifest presence are not the same thing. There can be one without the other. This is how Tozer explains it. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. A very good example from the Bible is when Jacob left his home and spent a night in the wilderness. And there, God revealed to him in a dream. Waking up, he cried out, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Now, Jacob was not exactly correct to say that he met God at this place in the wilderness. God was always with him. When he left home in a hurry, nervously looking back to make sure Esau wasn't following. But it was only at this place in the wilderness that he became aware of God's presence. And only then was there God's manifest presence. For God's manifest or revealed presence to be there, there must be awareness. And I will suggest to you that a lack of this awareness has led many Christians to fall into sin. Now imagine if King David had been aware that God was there in the bedroom, in which he was. Could he have, could he have continued to have sex with Bathsheba?
The disciples are depressed. They are so used to having Jesus physically with them all the time, and now he's no longer around. They have not fully understood what he told them at the Last Supper. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. So if, even if Jesus is going to the Father, he will send the Holy Spirit to be with them, not just for a day or two, but forever. This means that even though Jesus may no longer be with them in body anymore, he will continue to abide with them through the Holy Spirit. It is clear from the depressed state that they are in that the full implications of these words have not fully sunk in. Let me highlight two questions regarding God's presence, and they are related. The first question is, why bother with church? If there's no place on earth where God is closer to us or farther away from us, then it stands to reason that he should be just as close to us if we were to decide to sleep in this morning and skip church. And if that indeed is the case, why bother with church? Listen, church, there is a very valid reason for us to gather here this morning. It indicates an intentionality on your part to live out the primary purpose God has created us for, which is very simply stated in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So what we will miss by skipping church it's the joy of experiencing God's glorious presence. As we gather to worship Him. For it says in Psalm 22 that God inhabits the praises of His people. So we will not, we will not need Jacob's aha moment when he said, God is in this place. I wasn't even aware of it. Instead, this morning, we can all say, God is in this place, and we are aware of it. If you can say amen to that, would you speak that out loud with me? God is in this place. Together, yeah? God is in this place, and we are aware of it. Again, God is in this place. And we are aware of it. Reality check. Friends, how aware are you of God's presence right now? It matters. Do you sense God seated up on the balcony somewhere? Or do you sense him right next to you? If the latter, then maybe you'll be more careful with what is on the screen of your mobile right now. The second related question is, far from God. Some years ago, I saw a bumper sticker with these two questions. Far from God, who move? And in various parts of the Psalms, 
The psalmist will lament God's being far away. Psalm 5.22, O Lord, do not be far from me. Psalm 38.21, O my God, do not be far from me. Psalm 71.12, O God, do not be far from me. But if God's universal presence necessitates that he can be no closer or farther away from any one of us, what are that bumper sticker and these verses getting at? What is it referring to? Now, the answer can be found in these words from Isaiah, where God says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So whenever the Bible speaks of God being far from his disciples, his people, or his people far from him, it is not referring to physical distance, like me being closer to Kassir and me further away from Daniel. No. What it does is using language as applied to human relationship. Now, I have a brother, Peter, who is two years older than me. Now, growing up, we had always to fiercely compete for my par- our, my pa- our parents' love, approval, and attention. Now, because I tended to do better at school, so I was always the one getting the favorite one with my mom and dad. And that created a sustained resentment and tension between the two of us. So when I read in Genesis that the first murder in history was between two brothers, I understand. Later, we left home. We both left home and went abroad to study. He to the UK and me to Canada. And then we started to correspond to one another. While we were half the world apart, we began to to grow closer to one another. That is what it means here. While we cannot get any closer to God in terms of meters or feet, we sure can in terms of relationship. So if some of you feel God is far from you, let's go back to the question on the bumper sticker. Who moved? This morning, I invite you to make the effort to draw closer to God. Now, God has always desired to connect with and reveal himself to us. He sought out Adam and Eve, even after they have sinned. He appeared to Abraham in the vision. He spoke to Jacob, Joseph, and Daniel in dreams. He revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. He spoke with a soft, still voice to Elijah in a cave. As the disciples are feeling miserable and towing out at sea, Jesus comes to the seashore to reach out to them. In the same way, he wants to reach out to each of you. And let's be clear. Jesus does not come to the disciple to to rebuke them for turning away from him. He comes because he cares and is very concerned for their depressed state of mind. 
He wants to restore them to a right relationship with him. And it does not start by getting them to sit down and give them a lecture about discipleship. Instead, he helps them with what they are doing, fishing. And with his help, they manage to catch lots of fish, 153 of them. He followed that up by preparing a tasty breakfast with grill of grilled fish and warm bread and invites them to join him. If you read the passage again, you will notice that there are already fish grilled on the fire, ready to be served when the disciples come on shore. The fish are not from the catch. Jesus knows the disciples are hungry and he does not want them to wait a moment longer. Just see how much Jesus loves and cares for their well-being. I'm just, now this is not for my sermon. I'm just moved by thinking of another incident. <laughs> Remember the feeding of the 5,000? It happened after a full day of work. They had been working, preaching, and ministering to the crowd, milled multitude for the whole day. And disciples were tired, and they told Jesus, send them home. And Jesus said, you feed them. And so instead of you know, achieving the, the intention of sending the disciples home, they spent the next few hours working, working and working, feeding the, congregation, uh, the crowd. And Jesus knows, that's discipleship. But at this moment, it is not the time to talk about discipleship. Jesus cares for them. He knows exactly how they are feeling now. So it's before addressing their spiritual issues, which there is, very serious spiritual issues, he will first attend to the physical needs too because he knows they needed it. Now, you don't find this in the scripture. So when you read the Bible, we need to have a little imagination. It must be the most strange meal. No one speaks. In awkward silence, the disciples will eat the fish, yummy fish, and bread with their heads down. Careful to avoid any eye contact with Jesus. You see, because the relationship was broken. And after everyone has eaten, Jesus had time. Jesus had plenty of time. He wasn't in the rush. He waited for air till everybody has eaten. And then he turned to Peter. Simon, son of John. Now if your father starts a conversation by calling out your full name, you know that what he says next will be either something serious or something important or both in this case it is both jesus asked peter a question peter do you love me more than this peter bursts out in tears on hearing this it is like a flooded dam has burst and each time jesus repeats the question his sobbing just grows more intense and uncontrollable. 
Three times, Jesus asked the same question. Do you love me more than this? And the only answer Peter can come up with in between sobs is yes, yes, and yes. Oh Lord, you know my heart. You know more than I know myself. You know that in spite of all my faults and failings, I love you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, how I want to love you even more. Now, Jesus does not explain his question. So many scholars, or give, let's give Bible scholars many, uh, a, lot of, a lot of job to do. They have argued whether Jesus is asking Peter if he loves him more than he loves the other, the other disciples or whether he loves the other disciples more than he loves him, or whether he loves him more than his fishing business. My guess is it can be all three. This morning, if the Lord were to ask you, Mastona, Julio, Ines, Jonas, do you love me more than this? Not three times. But five, ten, fifty times, as many times as the things, as there are things in your life that compete with God's place at the center of your life. Will, will your answer always be yes, yes, and yes? Three times Peter had denied the Lord. Three times the Lord will restore him. He then affirms and commissions him to his primary role as shepherd of the flock by gently urging him to feed his sheep. And after prophesying how Peter will one day die for him, the last words Jesus says to Peter as recorded in the final chapter of John, are, follow me. And Peter did follow, literally. Some church traditions say that Peter also died by crucifixion. And tradition had it that as he, is, he was being nailed to the cross, he asked to be crucified upside down because he did not think it worthy of him to die the same way as his beloved Lord. I will ask you to close your eyes now. Vatan, please come forward and play some soft music for us. As the church enters this season of change, you may wish like the disciples that things had stayed the same. You may prefer to have Pastor Drew here instead of having different people preaching on Sundays. You may struggle right now with my English accent. It's okay. You'll get used to it. 
regardless of how you feel now, God wants to reveal Himself and minister to you this morning. As He did with the disciples, as they gathered around the fire, He wants you to know not only that He is with you always through the Holy Spirit. He wants you to know that He loves and cares for you. He cares all about you, not just your spiritual life, but your health, your job, your relationships, and how you're feeling right now inside. So come to Him right now. Just as you are, with all your anxieties, pain, hurts, fear, and confusion, lay all these burdens at His feet, for He cares for you. This morning, if you sense God speaking, will you respond to Him? The question He has for you may be different. It is unlikely that He will ask you to be crucified upside down like Peter. But He does cause you. To take up your cross, to follow him. Will you do that? Will you do that? Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you for leaving this precious chapter. In the book of John, to remind us that it's okay. It is okay not to feel good. It is okay not to feel well. It is okay to feel far from you. But you remind us this morning that you were always going to reach out to us, to come to us where we are by the waters. To where, to what we are doing at that moment, even the things that I am doing at that moment, is not in accordance to your will. And you will invite us to a wonderful meal. You will dine with us. You will drink with us. And yet, you will still ask us lovingly and gently, "Feed my lamb. Feed my lamb. 
Take care of one another. Take care of the weak and weary one amongst you. Pastor Drew is not here anymore. But you know what? This is not your church. This is not my church. This is God's church. This is Jesus' church. He gave his life, his precious life, for the church. He will send a pastor, a shepherd, after his own heart, to lead us and to guide us. And you will not leave us as often as you said in the last. Supper, that you will not leave us as orphans. We will have you through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance this morning. We love you. We want to follow you to the very end. Amen. If anyone here has not confessed your sin and push, put your faith in Jesus, I invite you to come to me or one of the elders afterwards, and we can help you to do that. After the service, if you would like prayer, someone to pray with you for whatever reasons, come forward. And sit down over there. Just sit down over the front row, and I will make sure that someone comes to attend to you. I shall end my time here with a song. If the words resonate with you, will you respond by opening your hearts to receive and reflect on them? As you leave this place, and I'm glad to have my dear friend visiting from Edmonton, Canada, Nathan, and he will join me in this song. Oh, God.
Oh, oh. 